Hi, this is Kate of the Dinner Sisters podcast here with a special interview episode of Dorothy Callens, the author of The Kitchen Whispers. We're super excited to have her on the podcast. I did this interview a couple weeks ago and it was so fun. Uh, I was just delighted to meet one of my heroes. She was the co-founder of Savoir Magazine back in the day, an editor-in-chief. She also co-founded Metropolitan Home Magazine, if you're familiar with that. So this lady is a powerhouse, and she's cooked with all sorts of people over the years, including David Tannis and a whole bunch of other chefs. So if you're someone who's into recipes, food magazines, um, celebrity chefs, regular chefs, this is an interview for you, which, frankly, if you're listening to this podcast, just might be your thing. We talked a lot. She was lovely, and I think you'll really enjoy hearing all of her influences and then all the things that she learned in her life of cooking with some of the top chefs. Let's listen in. So, Dorothy, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with us. This is Kate from the Dinner Sisters, um, for all of the folks that are tuning in. And, Dorothy, I thought we could just start with, like, just introducing yourself and maybe telling us a little bit about your book. So, I've been a magazine editor my whole life. And what I concentrate on is our ideas. I love to find the best ideas and share them with readers. And that's what I've done much of my career. And then when I started to do cookbooks, I worked with wonderful, wonderful chefs and produced books for them the way I produce magazines, which was kind of ideas first. But you know what really started the idea of this book, which is called The Kitchen Whispers, was a real experience of listening to the ideas that were coming in my head. For example, I'd come home from the farmer's market with a load of greens and everything would be filthy. I mean, good filth, dirt, dirt. dirt. And I always thought of a woman who was the grandmother of my stepdaughter, if that gets any more complicated, but who I met in, in France several times, and she said to me, always wash the salad greens three times to get, and and I realized that I had Mammy, me, me, my, my daughter's grandmother in her head when I washed greens. And then I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> how crazy is this? And then I started thinking about all the people who have influenced me and their ideas. And it really comes back, as I said, to being a magazine editor where you you really zero in on the ideas. And then I was kind of doing it for myself, making a magazine for myself in my head. Where did these ideas come from? You know, every time I boil pasta, I hear Marcella saying to me, but the, the only put the water in when it's boiling, put the salt in when the water is boiling. You know, in other words, but those things play in your head. And then I started thinking very hard about that. And I started thinking that other people must have these same experiences. They must remember the things that somebody told them. And it's not necessary. It's not that you don't do, do cookbooks because cookbooks are really important and we need to know the amount of ingredients and the order and all of those things. But 
there are so many things about cooking that really come with listening or watching people. So that's where the kitchen whispers came from. It's so, I think when, when I was reading the introduction to your book and you described those voices in your head and you described even your son's voice in your head, which I thought was hilarious when you, when you remarked, maybe he doesn't care. <laughs> but, but I, I like it. His voice is in your head. Um, it really made me reflect on some of those voices that I have in my head. And that's why I did yeah. the book. That's mm-hmm. exactly why I did the book because it would evoke your own memories. Oh yeah, for sure. I can hear my mom who taught me how to bake bread, who said, you do not add too much flour. Don't add too much flour. You want the dough to be elastic. You want it to be loose. Otherwise it's going to be like a rock. And you always hear, you always hear mm-hmm. her saying that to mm-hmm. you. And it's kind of, you capture a precious element that just plain recipes mm-hmm. can't deliver, which is the, the wisdom and the, and the personality. Right. Right. Oh, for sure. I think it was such, um, I loved how that was also a, a through line, not only for your memoir, but for the, the techniques and the tips and the pieces that were in there. Um, I remember reading about the Swiss chard and how <laughs> your Swiss chard was a footnote. And then you learned to make it, if you want to talk through that story a little bit, cause I thought it was so sweet. So, well, it, it really started, um, we, when we were doing Sever, we did an article, um, a whole issue on California. And my two co-founders, Coleman Andrews and Christopher Hersheimer, were both, are both California-born and um, very chauvinistic about their state. It happens. Uh, I've heard me, that about New Yorkers, too. <laughs> so we, we dis- the three of us decided to do, that we would do the preliminary story outlined for uh, the California issue. So we started way in the north of the state. I think we flew, I think I flew into Oregon and we, we met there and then we actually had the ceremonial crossing of the line or something like that. And we, we had our first night we spent in a little tacky, funny 50s house that was on the coast that uh, in Northern California, very, very foggy, woody Northern California, where they smoke salmon. And so we found a salmon smoker and we found all, and, and so we decided, oh, well, we'll make a dinner based on what we find that's only here. Because that was part of, that was the core of Sever, the food from here. What's so we, we Coleman made a pasta with the smoked salmon that we had gotten from a smoker, and Christopher made got blueberries from the side of the road and made a great blueberry crumble. And then at a farm stand, that we saw I saw these incredible rainbow chard that were this that were huge, three feet big, and had and each stem was a different color: the yellow ones, the red ones, the white ones. They were just they were phenomenal. And then I and both Coleman and Christopher are better cooks than I. I mean, I, it doesn't even, I mean, they're in a different league than I am. And I came back to the kitchen and I realized I didn't know how to make that chart. I didn't know what to do with it. It was so huge. It sounds enormous. It was, it was enormous. And I didn't know how to break it down. Or, And I thought, I love this vegetable. 
and I I just don't know this vegetable. And it wasn't until a year of several years later that I was in the kitchen of one of my other chapter subjects, David Tannis, with whom I've done several books, um, and and we we thought of an idea for this for a story that Christopher was photographing and I was writing for Sever. Both of us had left, so it was a kind of a lovely return. Coleman was still the editor. We had left, and we said to David, "Okay, we're taking you to the market in." The Fifth Arrondissement in Paris, and we're going to tell, we're going to point to everything we want to know how to cook, and we're going to buy that, and we're going to take it home, and you're going to show us how to cook it. So we did. It, we did a, a, a lobe of foie gras, and he said, "Oh, piece of cake, no problem." And then we did, we did several other things, and then we did Swiss chard. I saw this gorgeous Swiss chard in the market. I said, "Okay." You're going to tell me how to do it. So basically, I'll just quickly tell you what he did was, of course, first sever the the stem from the leaf, make it not at all the same vegetable, cut the stems separately into little batons, and 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 quickly, um, you know, just quickly soften them in hot water, take them out. And then the leaves, he rolled up like a cigar, which is such a valuable thing because I do that with spinach now. I do it with every green, collards, um, everything that I have. I take and I roll it. I wash it well. And then I roll it up and chop, 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 so that you have little coils of slices yeah. and that then it's a dealable thing then right. you have something that you've tamed <laughs> right. so so the, so that was the swiss chard lesson and what he did was he made a bechamel and he he just did put the leaves with the sauce and and put the baton of the 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 blanched stems on top and baked it and it was delicious and I was—I've never been afraid of Swiss chard since then. Right. I mean, I love how you say that you could tame it, right? And I think there's lots of. I am currently interested in taming okra because I've just moved ah. to Atlanta. I have uh -huh. not worked with it before, and so I am. I've been. There's little. There's a restaurant that does Indian street food across oh. the street from my oh, place, oh. and they do little slivers of this okra that they, oh, they yeah, that they flash fry and ah. it's kind of chewy, crunchy with that Indian spice. Oh, isn't that great? Right. And That's so I'm like, okay, I've got, to, I've got to try that. And in addition to all the, the traditional ways, but you're, it's so interesting. I like that taming, taming the pieces. I have some questions for you too, that I think we always ask. And one um, is if you, what's in your kitchen right now? And you know, what are you making right now that you're excited about or that is just like honestly a meal that you're making because you're very busy with your book tour and you're just trying to eat something? Um. So, you know, we have been in a pretty much in a lockdown in this. Mm. In, I live in a high rise in midtown Manhattan and it's not been fun. The difference is that we can go to our farmer's market and, of course, we can, We fortunately have a car that we can go away on weekends and go to see friends or go to a market or go to a farm 
And and so I I feel like if you have corn and you have tomatoes and you have greens, you you will never 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 starve. And I just feel like I'm so loving and melons, mm. um, cantaloupes and watermelon, peaches. I, I could eat only that. We had last night. We had for dinner BLTs. Ugh. Yeah, can't beat one. Yeah, it's just uh, tomatoes. Tomato season is the best, and that's really what we're doing now. We're having. I make corn, and then I, I we make too much, and then I have corn salad or corn pudding, or but it's the only time I really cook corn except for cornbread. So you, you just so this is the wonderful time of year when that's all there. I think that's all you need. And my sister and I have a favorite summer salad. That's the the t- ripe, ripe tomatoes with peaches. Oh, and right, it's I like love it. oh, so good. Yeah. And you could just, but I'm not going to eat that any other month, but this month. No, that's exactly right. And you yeah. and 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 you can put little Kirby cukes in there. And mm-hmm. I just, I mean, it's that's what cooking and eating is all about. I think. Yeah, I love I love that idea. Just eating, eating what's around. That's the best. That's the best piece. Yeah. Another question we ask a lot, and I think it would be: Is there a recipe or a technique that you think people reading through the book may not pay attention to because maybe it's not as flashy, but is still one of your favorites that you want to make sure people? Well, you know, know, I did I did my mother's meatloaf because mm. I just it's something that I I I write about finding my mother's recipes. Um, after she was gone and, and not recognizing any of the food in the, in the recipe box that she had. Nothing that I, I, I don't know whether she was a secret dinner party thrower or did it started doing it after my sister and I had left or whatever. But yeah, but there's something about that meatloaf, which is half veal and half pork and half meat because we don't do veal anymore because we don't, it's not politically correct. So, and it has um, soaked bread in it, which I later learned bread soaked in milk. And I remember my mother soaking bread in milk and that's a French panade. It's what they call panade. And it's, of course, that, that gives a meatloaf an incredible texture and uh, just juiciness. It's so wonderful. Instead of those mealy meatloaves that you remember from school. Like crumble, that kind of crumble apart. Yeah, yeah. So I, that that's just something that I, I, I mean, it's the most ordinary thing in the world. But when you put, and then sometimes I put fresh tomatoes in, and I have a friend put fresh tomato sauce on the top of it or whatever. But it's a it's a wonderful thing to make. I haven't had a meatloaf in a while, but maybe once things turn not that, 90 degrees. I, wouldn't, I don't make it in the summertime. I, wouldn't, oh. I just wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I, you've got all this wonderful thing. I know. I have a lot of tomatoes to eat yet and, yeah. and okra to, to figure out. That's for sure. And if you have any okra tips, I'm open to any so okra tips. The one thing I learned about okra from a chef in New Orleans who I worked with is only by the smallest ones oh. because when they get bigger, they get stringier and harder. Okay. 
And I grew them once, uh, and they're so beautiful as they grow. They have these beautiful yellow flowers with smoky eyes. They're gorgeous. And getting the early ones is the secret. Okay, that's good to know. I'm gonna. I'm having to get to my farmer's market earlier and earlier in the morning because everything's gone. I everything's think people, gone. People yeah. are so, which is great, right? It's, yeah, it's exactly, exactly. But it. it's true. You want to. You need to get there early. Yeah. You know what I couldn't find? Zucchini. No. I, I'm, which everybody wants to get rid of at this point. Yeah. We have a we have a zucchini episode coming up. I had a zucchini rest I, I was I needed like three pounds of zucchini. I'm like, oh, I can go to the farmer's market. They're gonna give it away to me. I I couldn't find a zucchini and I texted my friend in Rhode Island and I said, Do you know I cannot find any zucchini down here? Nobody would believe it. No. And then she said in very Rhode Islander ease, she's like, well, that's BS. <laughs> there are very front-facing people, the Rhode Island. I, I, mean, I, I have a, a, a French way of doing tomatoes in, in zucchini. So you slice them all in half. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mean in half. You slice them in circles. Yep. And you put... A, tom- a slice of tomato, a slice of zucchini, maybe a slice of onion or, or a leek oh, or something like that. Yeah. And then, and you make a whole um, terrine full of them, a whole roasting pan full of them standing up. Okay. But I got some from the market a couple of weeks ago and they were so watery. They were too big. So that if the, t- if the zucchinis are too big, you're just going to have soup. Yeah, actually, that's what um, my friend Rhode Island said. She said the zucchini crop this year is very watery due to all the rain. And so so much rain. That's right. Been doing well. That's what happened to me with strawberry jam this year. I made strawberry jam. It was it took so long to cook down because of the of the rain. It was the same. Well, that reminds me. In your book, you talk about making apricot preserves. Is it dating? That makes the apricot preserves and his little technique that he did. If you want to talk about that, oh, that's a it's a wonderful thing. And you know, here we get apricots for twenty five minutes. I mean, they're here mm-hmm. and then they're gone. And then, and when apricots are not ripe, they're not great. But David's this is a David Tannis uh, recipe, and and David would make these little beautiful little jars of apricot. It was like if somebody gave you gold in a jar, that would be it. And he took the the apricots and cooked them down. And he says, always use the the right amount of sugar, because if you skimp on the sugar, you're not going to have the jam. And he lets them sit in a pan overnight. And it somehow makes it richer, better, more David, more unctuous. I don't know what. And and I've learned to do that. And I, I, I oh, it's, it's, it's super simple. I mean, it's a little bit of lemon juice and sugar and, and, and apricots and that's it. And it's halved and, and you, it's Ugh. wonderful. And then you're so glad to have them. You know, isn't that isn't that the truth? I think yeah. I've just done some peach preserves that I'm trying not to eat because I'll want to have them later. <laughs> you want to have them, and, and you want to have them for, for later. So, how do you do your peach preserves? You know, it's funny. I um, did it without knowing it, but on accident, I let it sit overnight. I had made it and then ran out of time. And this one batch I made—it's kind of the reason I brought it up. This batch was so good. Yes. Much better than the first batch I made. Isn't that, that interesting? I know it's something about that fruit that it picks up more it just, flavor. 
needs sometimes, you know, we all need a nap. I need a nap. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe apricots and peaches need a nap. Right. Who knows? Who right. knows? Yeah. I was thinking about too. Um, if you think about one of the, the through lines that I think when I was reading your book is this idea of like food and friendship with your stomach club that you had and um, very jealous of your friend with this wine collection. He just wasn't drinking. Yeah. That, <laughs> that came and went. <laughs> right. um, you know, I think if you want to talk a little bit about the connections that you've made in friendships through food, because I feel like that's kind of, I mean, some of these things I know were your job and work, but it feels like you made some friends along the way. And well, yeah, I, th- I think that I made the, I got to make the magazine I got to make because I had, because of Coleman and Christopher and, and, and me together, the three of us made a, a, a really strong team. And we had, we have pretty, pretty exigent standards for what, what's good and what's real and what's not real and what's fake and what's, you know, and it's just trying to get to, to um, the authentic of what, anything is mm-hmm. where what its origins are why do you do a certain thing why do you treat why do you uh drain eggplant for example well because it's bitter and so you mm-hmm. salt it to get rid of the bitterness well there's something that's a very important thing to know i always believe in a more um in a in a wholesale way of le- of dealing with a vegetable, you know, let, okay, how do we treat this thing? Mm, you know, what mm-hmm. do we, what do we know about this? And I've learned that from, from reading and from working with, with people who, who have the answer to that. And I guess I've always, you know, I always feel like there's a one way to do, to do the thing, a right way to do the thing. And then you can take off from there. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's why I distrust recipes that are a little bit this and a little bit that because I don't know where they're coming from. Oh, right. What's their perspective? Right. What's their perspective? I was curious. Um, you talk a little bit about weekend review taco night yeah. and <laughs> which I thought was such a fun, fun idea. Um, and part of that's based on um, David's tacos. He had those fish tacos, yeah. but it also then reminded me of Michael Anthony's and that CSA box. That yes. you. Uh, um, you want to talk a little bit about because our listeners, a lot of them get the CSA box or some of those like imperfect food boxes and think about um, we'll go to our Facebook group and say, what what the heck do I do with all this stuff? Right. Um, and so if you have any idea, like any whisperings that might help our, our listeners with that. Well, I, th- I think um, w- one of the daunting things for me with that with that CSA box was when these big radishes start coming. The daikons. Mm-hmm. They can look uh, like baseball bats. Moo, moo radishes. These are not things that we grew up with. These are Asian vegetables that have come into our, our kitchens and you have to know how to deal with them. And it's not just, oh, well, treat them like a radish. So I learned how to do the pickled daikon, which mm. is the simplest thing in the world, a little, I don't have the recipe in front of me, but a little bit of water and a little bit of sugar and a little bit of salt 
and a little vinegar boiled up and and all of a sudden you've made this big whacking daikon into something you've tamed it into something that you can keep in a jar in your refrigerator and have as a little pickle with with things and i think michael anthony taught me about making pickles from things and i think it's uh, it's obviously it's as, as old as cooking because it was preserving vegetables but having that adds another layer mm-hmm. to everything that you prepare if you've got those pickles if you've got those preserves if you've got those sauces you can you can brighten up anything that yeah. that you're contemplating for dinner eggs i mean eggs with any of those is great oh for sure i think like and if you have an egg you've got supper um what what were you eating with your daikon radish pickles what do you put them on what do you think well you know, if I'm having, if I have like a little piece of of meat steak left over, and I'll have that cold, and I'll put mm. the daikon radish with that, or even a tuna salad. Oh, would be awfully good to liven up a tuna salad. Um, just it just. Let's see what else. Um, and and it's also good with other vegetables like cabbage. If you quickly and just, it just brightens things up. I want to make sure that I I don't um, take too much more of your time, but if there anything else that you'd like to talk about, about your book or, or where, where people can get it, if you're going to be doing any book tour types. The book book goes on sale September 7th. Great. And um, available at all the usual places. Thank you so much. I really, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Like I said, that was such a fun interview to have, and I could have talked to her for another couple hours. She's the type of person you just want to have over for a cup of coffee. I hope you enjoyed that, too. And if you did, please feel free to check out our Dinner Sisters Facebook group. We are really excited to talk about all those sorts of things over there. And this week, we are giving away a Dorothy Callen's Kitchen Whispers book if you sign up for our newsletter. So if you sign up, this is just the week that this is being released. So if you sign up in in our newsletter list, you'll be entered into a drawing out of anyone who's on our newsletter list. So whether you joined this week, last week, or two years ago, you'll be entered in the raffle. We'll put your name in and then you could possibly win a copy of Dorothy Callan's new book, The Kitchen Whisperer. So look for that. In any case, we are just excited to have her on, and thank you as always for listening. That's it for the Dinner Sisters. We'll save a spot at the table for you. 